Welcome to The Practice Podcast, a show created by lawyers to help lawyers in life and business without all the complicated lawyer language. Let's welcome Bast Amron founders and your hosts, Jeff Bast and Brett Amron. Hi, Brett. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Nelson. So we are recording this on a Wednesday. There's a storm outside, basically, but we are safe and sound. Brett, I know we've been observing, and we've talked about this on other episodes of the podcast, an influx in South Florida. People moving here, but also law firms. Mm. And lots of national firms that offer a different product maybe than we offer. It's uh, They're more full service. And that's something you and I have talked about over mm-hmm. the years. We've talked to other firms. Some big firms have approached us over the years. Obviously, we haven't made that type of move, but what do you think? Is is it better to have a specialization like we do or better to generalize? Well, I mean, I don't know if it's, you know, I, we can't right. sit here and say better. I think it's it's a decision that that lawyers and owners of practices, right, have to make. There are pros and cons all around and we can work through those. I think we have to take a step back, though, for a minute and just talk about the landscape, at least here, right, in Miami and South Florida. And that is, as you said, and we've talked about, is that firms are coming down, opening offices in different ways, right? Some are bringing some partners down from different cities. Right. They came down during the pandemic. That, right. And they like just now, <laughs> right, they're staying and they're opening an office. And then they're adding, you know, over time. Some are opening offices with a lateral move from another, you know, eight, one or two or a practice group, just, you know, a lateral move. And then you have some that are opening offices by acquiring. An firm. entire office. Yeah, an entire office. A, a practice group, right? Right. And so, you know, that all ends up with, you know, a, a large firm having a presence here. And so... Even that presence can yeah. mean a lot of different things. Yeah, exactly. It could be one practice group. It could be multiple practice groups. But right. when you join a large firm, you have... And we've heard this, you know, the pitch, and, and it's certainly true, which is you have access to resources, right? You have access to resources in your office by uh, the fact that you have other lawyers in different practice areas. And you have resources in other offices throughout either the country or in some cases internationally, right? Sure. And so there's some benefits for sure to that, depending on your particular practice and the nature of your business. And then you've got boutique firms or small firms where you've got people that do different, they, they have a bunch of different practice areas. They're not necessarily quote unquote full service, but they, they have a bunch of different practice areas. And then you have boutiques kind of like ours, which is which are really focused in a particular area. Right. Right. And, you know, we like to say staying in our lane. Right. And we've made a conscious choice of that. To do, we do two things, insolvency and litigation. And our view is we do those two things and we do them well. We do, right. We do them really well. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Right. And so the question then is, right, if, if, do you stick around? Do you stay with what has gotten you to where you are or, do you decide to change course and and go full service? What are the pros and cons to you know to both? Well, I think I think first of all, it's practice. I think it's obviously it's probably geographically specific too, but right. it's certainly 
practice specific. Some practices require, you know, a bigger platform. If your clients are all Fortune 500 companies, you you may need a big firm. But if you do, for example, M&A, mergers and acquisitions, you really are going to need a team of lawyers with different skill sets. You need, obviously, M&A. You need corporate counsel. Well, usually M&A is corporate counsel, but you need environmental, real estate, tax, employment. You know, there's a whole host of, depending on whatever, if it's the energy, you need some energy folks. I mean, it depends on on the sector, but to have that type of practice, I don't think you see a lot of M&A lawyers that are solo practitioners or, or small firms. Right. Because they need access to different skill sets. Well, you know, I grew up in a, in a big firm. And so one of the luxuries of being in a full service firm, besides the fact that business development is not as critical, it's always important, but you could, I mean, for the for me, the first whatever, 10, 12, 13 years of my practice, I just showed up, you know, turned on my computer and the phone would ring and hey, on the other side, there was a client. There was a lawyer mm-hmm. from another office or another, you know, floor or whatever down the hall with a client. I didn't, you know, there just was a steady stream of clients. So there's a nice luxury in having that. And mm-hmm. I think clients to some degree like the convenience of having, you know, one point of contact who can, and one bill and one whatever. I think the difference is when you're in a small firm or a, a single practice firm like ours, you know, we assemble that team with our network. And so, you know, we have transactional folks when our clients have a need, we still are, we, we still like to be the single point of contact and we assemble that team from our, from our network. And it's almost the same thing. We refer cases to them the same way they refer cases to us. It's almost that, that how it works in a big firm, you know? Right. The bankruptcy guys call the real estate guys when they are selling a piece of property and the real estate folks call the bankruptcy folks when they have a, uh, you know, a distressed situation. You mentioned it, so let's go back to it for a second. And that is, you know, you grew up in a big firm environment and now you've spent, you know, the last 13 plus years, almost 14 years, like, you know, actually it'll be 15 in in March having left uh, the firm. It'll be 15 in January for me, which is crazy. What do you see in terms of sort of the biggest differences, you know, having access to, you know, the full service in-house? Versus now being, you know, really a, a niche practice, you know, staying in the lane, right? A niche practice, but having sort of to outreach to, you know, gain access to other areas. Yeah. I mean, there's so many components to that. I would say right off the bat, maybe the top one is, you know, conflicts. Conflicts in a big firm mm-hmm. with multiple practice areas, particularly institutional lending creates problems for insolvency practitioners. You know, if you represent a large, you know, international bank, they're going to be in a lot of cases. And so if your firm does some slice of business for them, that could preclude you from participating in many cases in which they're involved. So conflicts are an issue that, you know, jumps out. You know, it's certainly convenient when you have a client who asks a question that requires expertise on FDA law that you have, you've, that you can search your firm's intranet and say, who has expertise? And you right. find that person right. immediately. So 
right now, when we have a client ask that question, we just do that externally instead of internally. I, I don't view it as that inconvenient. I mean, yeah, there's the additional hurdle of that lawyer now has to run a conflict check and, you know, get retained, et cetera. But, you know, that's to me a, a burden that is not too great. And it also allows us to lawyers thrive on referrals. We refer cases to each other. Most clients don't have a great understanding of lawyers' expertise. Mm-hmm. They just know the lawyers they like and trust. Right. And I like to think we are that lawyer for a lot of clients. That I, I think they know what we do, but even, I don't care if they don't know what they do. I'd rather them just call me and say, do you do this? And if I don't, right. we'll find them. Right. We'll find that person. We have a vast network you know, through various channels in South Florida and you know, across the country. But certainly appealing. I, I think it's a little easier as a lawyer to be in a full service firm because then you have, you know, the networks has already been assembled for you. Sure. I mean, you don't have to go about and assemble your network for you. Right. It's done for yeah. you, for sure. That's yeah. clearly a pro. The cons, you know, you talked about the conflict check and all that right. stuff. To me, I guess I would equate kind of who we are and niche sort of, you know, practice and focus practice is, you know, if you have a heart condition, you're going to go to who? To right, specialist. Specialist. Right, yeah. yeah. Like you may love, you're going to, right, you're going to go to a cardiologist. You may love your general practitioner, right? Your doctor that you go to for your annuals, your checkups, you, you know, all, if you're not feeling well, like, you, you know, and, and you love and trust your general doctor. But if you have a particular issue, you know, you're going to want to go to a cardiologist, let's say for the heart, because the cardiologist has, that's all they do. And they're going to focus on, you know, that issue. And they've seen that issue in all likelihood, you know, how many times, right. As opposed to, you know, the general doctor who, you know, may have read about it, maybe see it, but, but doesn't focus on that. So that's how I kind of look at it. And again, it's, yeah, it's specific to practice areas. I mean, for sure. Yeah. I mean, there's to stay with that analogy, I agree with it entirely. At the same time, I wouldn't want my general practitioner to say, hey, you need a cardiologist, good luck. I'd want to know, right. hey, do you know a cardiologist? Or will you talk to that person and explain my issue? <laughs> right. Make sure for make sure they're, you know, take my insurance and whatever, whatever it is. Right. Like I want my general practitioner to be my legal, you know, my, uh, my, you know, medical manager. Right. And I think, you know, that's a service that goes overlooked by a lot of lawyers. And I think bigger firms are better at doing that. Right. But I think, you know, I encountered it from time to time in in big firms. You would see, we would see in the, just in the bankruptcy example, we would see a big case file and then we would see our client, a firm client appear with other counsel. And we're like, Hey, what the heck? Why didn't anyone call us? And then you learn that an, an attorney in another office didn't even know you exist, you know? And so that was like, to me, like one of the big jobs, especially when I moved from one firm to the other was go out and make yourself known within the firm. Make sure people know you're there. And it's really not that much different from what we do now. Right. You know, in our networks, we want to make sure people know who we are, where where we are, how to reach us, what we do. You made another point and I lost it. But at the same time, I also admire, I always am impressed by lawyers who graduate from law school and hang a shingle, like open their own practice and they just general practice. You know, we call it door law, whatever door law, comes yeah. through the door. Yeah, for sure. But I think that's impressive because they have to develop a vast skill set and hopefully they specialize in some respect. But 
like you said, it's hard to be expert in a lot of different areas. I mean, what we do is such an evolving... Yeah, and I think door lawyers, I mean, I don't know that they're so prevalent today. I think they were at a particular time. I think there are plenty that that do still do that. And I agree with you. I have great respect for that because they're knowledgeable in a bunch of different areas. But it would be sort of jack of all trades, expert in none. And I'm not saying that across the board. I mean, there may be people who are experts that, that, you know, they are general practitioners. But it would be, to me, it's the same thing as your doctor, your general doctor, your general practitioner doctor, right? Like they see everything, you know, they're exposed to everything. But again, if you have a particular issue that may need an expert, they may refer you to somebody else. And I agree with you that you, you want your general practitioner that you trust, that you go to the, you know, to recommend somebody for sure want that, right? And coordinate it and communicate and make sure, hey, tell the cardiologist that I'm on this medication right. or that medication right. or, you right. know. Not like, like, hey, good luck. Right, exactly. Let me know how it goes, right. you know. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I think that that is super helpful. I think that any on any referral, I think for the specialist, I think that is helpful to the specialist because the specialist then, you know, comes with some air of credibility and trust that, you know, the, cl- the client or the, the patient would have immediately, right, because of, of the referral and the nature of the referral. So, I know we're kind of jumping around on that yeah. stuff, but I think going back on the on the general, I mean, look, I, there is definitely a need for it. Otherwise, there wouldn't be any. If there is a particular issue that is, you know, again, of a certain nature, that a lot of times the specialist is needed, the, yeah. you know, the niche practice. I mean, look at insolvency just as a practice generally. Mm-hmm. There are so many specializations within the insolvency world. I mean, think about it. There's tons of firms out there that... Yeah do low-cost, high-volume consumer cases or that specialize in specific chapter, chapter 13. You know, we're not set up to do that. We don't, you know, have the, right. you know, it's just a different product. But that service, a lot of people might, you know, scoff at that and say, oh, it's just a lower class of service. It's really not. I mean, those lawyers can, first of all, live a successful life, but they can also help a lot of people that many of whom would not be able to otherwise afford this service, you know? Right. And so... Well, one could argue that they are, right? They are, like you said, I think you said it, that they are they are expert, right? In, yeah, they like, become expert, yeah, yeah, for sure. In chapter 13. Like, they, we know lawyers, that's all they do. Yeah. Chapter 13. And they 13s. go to court and they have 40 cases on the dock. Right, every day. We can't do it because no. we have one or two and right. it's just not, you know, there's and, no way to make it feasible. And know, then there's lawyers that all they do is chapter 7. Right. right. They just file chapter seven, sometimes not even for comp, just for individuals, consumers. Right. right. There are, you know, larger firms that all they're mostly, if not always, on the debtor side. If they file right. only chapter elevens or chapter sevens or, you know, representing companies or individuals right. of high net worth. And then there's firms that all they do is represent trustee, you know, bankruptcy trustees or fiduciaries, yeah. you know, receivers, assignees. You know, it's kind of a lot of our practice, although we kind of do, you know, a bunch of different areas in the insolvency. Right component, but then there's firms that all they do is committee work yeah, uh, or creditor work, you know, creditor's rights, you know, you hear that too. So yeah. like you said, bankruptcy, because of the nature of what it is, lends itself to right. having different areas and yeah. niche. And I think it's not, most of those are not exclusive. So, you know, we do fiduciary and insolvency litigation, but we would also do a debtor case or a creditor's committee case or whatever, trust, you know, we do a lot of different things. And I think 
the only I was trying to think of if there's any practice. The only one I could think of off the top of my head is labor and employment. Some of those lawyers mm-hmm. are only corporate side, and sure. some are only employment side. Sure. So you won't see most corporate employment lawyers, they will not take a mm-hmm. wage and hour case or a discrimination case against a company. They want to represent companies and they say, I represent companies because they don't want to be seen on that other side. Yeah, it's a tough, right. As, that's, that's, that's hard to only, do, right? right, right. You want, what if you have, you know, you have two matters on a calendar in front of a judge and a motion calendar. One, you're representing the company. One, you're representing the individual. I mean, you can do it. Right, yeah. But, you know, does that put you in a, in a bind? Right. Yeah, that's the only practice I was thinking of. And I, and I think that one makes a lot of sense, you know, yeah. business-wise. I think yeah. that's more, there's no real conflict there. It's just a, it's a business conflict. It's my clients are getting sued by former employees who are accusing them of something that they think is wrong, that they think that they're not guilty of, I should say. And they don't want a lawyer that's, bringing those kinds of claims against other companies like them. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and so that's a business conflict, but I think mostly it's a business decision. But I, I also think, you know, it's almost like I think of in-house lawyers, companies that have a single in-house lawyer, general counsel, they do as much as they can themselves. Mm-hmm. And then they bring in outside counsel, you know, so most in-house lawyers are going to, you know, help negotiate a contract, maybe buy, you know, buy a business or buy a division or a subset of assets, but rarely will they defend a lawsuit. Yeah. Although maybe they would, maybe if it's a breach of simple breach of contract case, they do it as much as they can. And then they bring in an expert if it's, or if it's going to go to trial, they bring somebody else in. You know, I think there's a lot of lawyers out there, the, the door lawyers, for example, who fill that role Mm -hmm. externally, their clients go to them for everything. And General counsel, right? General right. outside counsel. And, and the question is, when do you, do they all know when they need to bring in someone else? You know, that that's always the struggle. And, and we've encountered that from time to time. Like a, a referral comes up and the question is, it's not really our area of expertise, but could we do it? Mm, yeah, we probably could, but should we do it? Then that's the question. Should, that's the question. Should you do it? Right. If it's, uh, you know, IP litigation, intellectual property litigation, no, I don't think we, you know. I don't, we <laughs> I don't haven't. That. Yeah, no. exactly. There's always a first case oh, for everyone. God, no, but yeah. if it's specialized, you really yeah. are doing. You know, we we actually see this all the time with non-bankruptcy lawyers Showing coming you. to bankruptcy court to either litigate or challenge a, a plan or whatever it is, and they they know enough. It's not that they're incapable, but they understand maybe the fight that's before them, but they cannot have a good sense of the context of that fight. Well, it's tough to, it's tough because I, you know, it may be just a a litigation. It just happens to be in bankruptcy court. And so the litigator may say, I got this. It's bankruptcy court. I'll I'll look at the rules. I'll figure it out. But there's, there's so much more of a dynamic in there. And we, yes, we do see it all the time that I'm not saying that that litigator can't litigate in bankruptcy court. I don't think that's what you're saying either, but they'd probably benefit Right from having somebody either with them or handle it without them, right? That routinely goes to bankruptcy court. Like I wouldn't ever appear in tax court or in patent and trademark litigation. Like that's either I would without 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 somebody, somebody sitting right, next to me that is an expert or handling it on a primary basis with me 
you know, like, and I think you feel the same way because that's a really specialized practice that, you know, we're just not set up to handle on a primary basis. And again, maybe even depending on the the case it is or the, the facts at all, like it may be something we hand off for sure. So I think that it becomes harder for that lawyer to make that decision when, like you said, oh, can we handle it? Maybe it becomes harder when, you know, look, you're, you're, we all are trying to earn a living. Yeah. And if you're slower and you get something, someone calls you and you're like, mm, not really my wheelhouse, but I'm slow, so I'll handle it. Right. It's usually when lawyers run into issues. Right. Yeah. And we've had situations where, you know, I had this recently, a client, it was a referral for, you know, defense of a fraudulent transfer action in whatever, Kansas and somewhere else where, and so we've done dozens of those, but we're not admitted to practice in Kansas. So, you know, we say to the client, look, we can handle this and we may be able to negotiate a quick resolution, but I'm always, the point is candor, like that we're candid about it. Right. We wouldn't say, yeah, we can handle this. I'll tell them, look, I can handle this. We, most of these resolve out of court, but if we have to go to court, we're going to need local counsel. And if we need local counsel in that case, you're probably better off with counsel in that jurisdiction and minute to practice in that, in that jurisdiction. Right. Not always, but sometimes yeah. it really depends on the nature of the, of the claim, but if for a run of the mill, you know, routine cause of action. And, and sometimes, you know, I think lawyers have a tendency to do that. You know, I'll do the first round. You see that sometimes with, uh, you know, real estate lawyers, for example, they'll, they'll kind of handle the first round of a dispute until it goes to litigation, then they bring in a litigator. And so sometimes that's okay. But we've also seen circumstances where the first round was, actually, we've even, we've even seen accountants do this. <laughs> we, we, yeah. uh, one circumstance comes to mind where the accountants may have handled the first round of a dispute and right, made trying, a, to, trying to settle it, trying to right, resolve right, an issue right. and made a, you know, right. made a boo-boo. Yeah. I think we've we've kind of beaten that topic. Anything else you wanted to add to that? I, mean, I don't I know. Like you we've, we've uh, talked it through. I thought this was maybe the beginning of a conversation where you tell me you're going to a big firm. Yeah, yeah. I think we are one day after election day, and I think we should talk politics. No, I'm just kidding. What I don't want to talk about politics on this. We don't have enough time. Nelson even perked up for that. One. Yeah, he did, didn't he? he Look woke, at him. You woke him up. We don't. We don't have time for that. But what I what I was happy to see was the. It, it appears that the turnout and the voting was significant. Right, and so I'm very happy about that. And I think that more people, because if you don't vote, then you can't really complain. Yeah. So we need people to get out and vote whenever there's an election. Keep doing it. Keep registering. If you're not registered to vote, vote. Get registered and get prepared for the next election. Agreed. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star review. Follow us and share it with your friends and family. And if you have any questions about this episode or something we discussed, or if there are topics you want to hear in the future, if you're interested in being a guest, please reach out to us directly or through our details in the show notes at bastamron.com. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. Thanks, Nelson. Thank you, Nelson. Stay dry. For more information on this show and other resources, visit bastamron.com and connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at Bastamron. Amron.